Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is the Believe in Pro Wrestling Podcast. Here's Ricky Chino and SP3 on the Believe Podcast Network. What is this? This is a, a, a live edition on a Thursday afternoon or a, well, if you're an SP3's part of the world, a Thursday evening. Welcome in to the Believe in Pro Wrestling Podcast AEW Dynamite Recap Edition. We had two jokers show up last night, and let's just say everybody was wrong. But everybody thought they were right for about a half a second. Uh, we'll dive uh, into that as well strange situation unfolding with uh, Brian Danielson last night. If you didn't see the video online or the, the, the reports about what happened, we'll dive into that. How we see the Owen Hart tournament shaking out Chris Jericho's promo and Regal's very cheeky response last night. Some, some things to enjoy about dynamite last night, not the best episode they've put on and Wardlow, man. Got to talk about Wardlow and his no-selling of the, the strap shots last night. Whew, lot to get into here, SP3. The birthday boy enjoying the night off last night. How are you? How's everything? How's the fam? How we doing? Doing well, doing as best as I can uh, after my birthday. It's still SP3 <laughs> week, so still celebrating here. And it was a, a a solid show of AEW Dynamite last night. I won't give it the rave reviews I usually give it because the last 40 minutes or so was a little bit off on my opinion, but I enjoyed a lot of the show. Look, they're not all going to be home runs, right? I'd, I'd give this one a solid double off the wall, right? Like, I mean, this this, this was, as as our buddy Dutch Mantel would say, it was kind of a maintenance show uh, a little bit last night. And I think, I, I think people are prone to expect huge things on a night where we have mysteries surrounding AEW and it's not like Tony Khan hyped it up to be a major thing, but I, I, I think it would be safe to say that people were expecting a little bit more uh, out of the jokers last night. And ultimately the jokers didn't mean a whole lot uh, because they both lost uh, last night. Samoa Joe and Dr. Britt Baker moving on uh, in the Owen Hart and, and, all things considered, probably the right booking decisions moving forward. Uh, I do want to say hi to everybody who is showing up here in the chat. What is going on, noob? Good afternoon to you. Yes, Wardlow was a beast in that segment. I wholeheartedly agree. Saw a side-by-side -side video of Cody Rhodes getting lashed and then Wardlow getting lashed, and it could not have been two completely different performances. And I'm not saying either one of them was bad. But we'll dive into everything about what happened last night, compare the two, because I think SP3 and I uh, kind of disagree on which we which one we think uh, was better. But first things first, got to thank our friends over at Bet Online, the continued number one source for all of your sports betting needs and information. Find out the latest odds, news, sports developments uh, for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, NFL futures. It's all there. Your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and fan-favorite Vegas casino and poker games. Real easy to get started. We've made this very simple. Go to the website. Use your mobile device. Download the app. Sign up using our promo code BLEAV. That is believed to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And SP3, we'll start with the Jokers last night. Uh, Jonathan says, uh, happy birthday, Sid. Yes, absolutely. As he turns, what, what are you, 34? 34 years old? You say mages me? I forget. 
Yep. All right. There we go. Uh, so uh, happy birthday uh, to Sid. Yes. Uh, get all your guys' comments in. We'll start off with the with the Jokers last night. I think I'm not saying that John Morrison isn't worthy of the pop that he got, but with as many people on social media who were picking Johnny Gargano and wanted it to be Johnny Gargano, when the Johnny Elite flashed across the screen last night, I think there were a lot of people in attendance and a lot of people at home for at least a half second. A half second thought it was Johnny Gargano. And even the AEW on TNT Twitter account tagged Johnny Gargano as saying, oh my God, it's Johnny Elite. It wasn't. It was John Morrison. Wasn't even on my radar. Like me and Jeremy earlier this week were breaking down, you know, ahead of Wednesday. We're like, okay, well, who could this possibly be? John Morrison wasn't even on my radar. Wasn't upset to see him. That's a good get for AEW. Still in incredible shape. The match itself was, eh, there were a couple of spots here or there that, you know, could have been a, a little bit better, but I don't know. I, I thought overall it was pretty good. Again, Tony Khan wasn't promising like the world, right? He, but it was John Morrison. Great get. I was, maybe I was hoping Ty Valkyrie would have been the other one uh, as well uh, for, for the women's Joker, but that ended up not really being a debut. That's somebody that we had seen before. So Sid, you know, kind of Joker's wild or Joker's mild for you last night on Dynamite. Well, it wasn't really hype to be this like huge signing. So I knew it couldn't have been like the, you know, Miro was a, a prevailing thought. Uh, Johnny Gargano. I knew it wasn't going to be Johnny Gargano. And I knew he was trolling the social media world with the little post that he had with Ciampa, uh, yeah. all these two jokers. I, I knew that much. Um I know a lot of people thought it was going to be Cesaro, and I thought, like, no, this kind of feels like a placeholder. So I did a whole list over on WrestleTalk.com where one of the people that I named was John Morrison because they had the connection. He just worked with the Young Bucks, Sammy Guevara, and Ty Conti at AAA, Triple Mania 30. Uh, and this was a, a spot for someone to lose here. So I thought, you know, Davey Boy Smith Jr. would be a good option due to his connection to the Hart family, but I knew if he came in he was there to lose to Samoa Joe and Johnny Elite once I saw it was him I was like yeah this is here to lose to Samoa Joe he's not a guy that I would put over Samoa Joe with how they're building him up in AEW so I thought that this fit the bill very well it was a nice little surprise um, from what I heard from the people that were in Houston he got a good response even after people knew he wasn't Johnny Gargano so he still got a good response yeah. Maki Ito I was all happy for Makito. That was one person that I didn't name on the woman's side would be the Joker, but I was very happy to be wrong 100% of the way. And Jonathan, no, it shouldn't have been Miro. If this is a guy that's going to lose, Miro should not be losing no. when he returns no. to AEW. That would be the wrong decision. And I thought that this was, you know, Joe and Johnny Elite for a match that was quite obviously on the fly. This was two guys who called it all in the ring because you could see the little exchanges where it come out as a little bit of a fight. It came off as a little bit of clunkiness, but overall it was a solid opener. I thought Maki Ito and Dr. Britt Baker was a nice little comedy match. So this was effective for what it was. I didn't think that AEW promoted this to be the big signing like Athena or Mia Yim or anyone like that. So I was fine with what they contribute here. Yeah. And like I said, I, I was fine with it as well. And I think Tony kind of hyped it up a, a, a little bit. He, 
I, I believe there was a tweet where he hyped one or two of them as a as a debut, like debuting superstars. And yes, Johnny John Morrison, Johnny Elite would fit that bill. Uh, reports are, though, he has not signed with AEW at this time. Door is open uh, for, for future dates for him to come back. So it sounds like he might be kind of bouncing around here a little bit before making any final decisions on where he wants to wrestle uh, full time, if that is something that he wants to do. Uh, but Wrestling Observer, by the way, speaking of people who are might be coming or going, sounds like a few more AEW superstars uh, are going to be going. They're, they're going to be going the routes of, of leaving because their contracts are up here soon and they have not been able to work out any new deals with the company. Now, he did not allude to who those might be, but I think this is something that you know we, we've all suspected was, was going to be coming. I mean, AEW is not into the, the whole mass release thing, but they are quietly letting some talent go, and Tony Khan has talked about this, where it's like, hey, look, we're, we're not utilizing them as much on TV. I got a much bigger roster now. It does come down to budgetary numbers, and... Yeah, we we've seen some some guys go already, and I I think it's it's pretty safe to say you might be able to pick and choose who some of these guys are based on how they've been used on television lately, or lack thereof. Yeah, you can see some of the guys that were there from year one are not gonna be here for the long term. The evil Unos of the world, guys like that, I don't see them staying around for too much longer. So, uh. I think it's okay, though, when you fill out the roster and you have the the people that they've added over the past, especially like 12 months, you got to make those adjustments and you got to let go of people that have kind of been the lifeblood. It's about, you know, moving moving out and moving in some new people. So when you get people like Sir Strickland, like Keith Lee, you kind of got to move out the people that were there from year one. Yes, it's kind of hard for the people that are fans of them and the people that think that AEW should repay them for the loyalty, but that's just that's how the business works. Right. And here's the other thing. The the guys that have been there since day one, that their contracts are up here soon, they're going to want raises, right? We've been talking about this at nauseum with MJF because he has been, well, basically screaming it from the mountaintop. So, yeah, you're, you're going to have to, you know, work your budget to a way where you can give raises to some other people. So if you got you got a huge roster like we've talked about, where you're having problems like getting everybody on TV, unfortunately, yeah, you're going to have to make some difficult decisions. So um, it's we'll see who ends up out on the free agent market. Luckily, man, like for anybody, even the people, whether it's WWE, AEW or any of these other companies, luckily, like there, there are so many options, you know, out there uh, at the moment. And maybe they come back, sign Ring of Honor contracts. You don't know. So we'll we'll see how things uh, shake out there. But going back to what we saw on Dynamite last night. Let's let's talk about the match of the night real quick, which I think the action in the ring was just absolutely spectacular because AEW, for one, has something very special. And this 26 year old uh, gentleman who really kind of just tore it up uh, with Hangman Adam Page last night in Takeshka. Um, incredible match. But man, I got to tell you, CM Punk adds so much when he is on commentary. And last night was just sheer gold. I loved the gamesmanship between him and, and Adam page while they're wrestling. Like page is constantly looking back at punk while he's delivering these moves and he's setting up for the go to sleep and all this stuff. And punk is just like, yeah, I love it. Bring it. This is awesome. Come on, brother. Just like shouting at him throughout this entire match. I loved all of this from, uh, from last night, but the talent in the ring as well stole the show for me last night. 
Uh, this was a absolute banger. This was a great match that just kind of came out of nowhere, and they really put over Takeshina so well. Like in two matches, he seems like a guy that a lot of people want to see, like in the TNT title picture, given more. And he's really kind of been a calling card for DDT and this whole partnership that they have with AEW. Because if this is the ace, if this is the first guy that they bring over, people want to see like who's the other people that they can bring over from DDT that can kind of translate the way this guy has gotten. He's over with the fans already, thanks to performances like his matchup against Jay Lethal on Rampage, and then this matchup right here, and they just went balls to the wall. This could have easily been like a five, six-minute matchup that put over Hangman Adam Page, or even something more akin to what Punk did with John Silver last week, but they went out there, they gave Takeshina a bunch of near falls that made him look great against the world champion, and then Hangman Adam Page, it added to their, the whole story that he has going on with CM Punk because, you know, you could say, oh, Takeshita gave him a run for his money, but you could tell he was putting over the fact the character work was he was more distracted with CM Punk on commentary yes. than he really was about the match. So the psychology was there. The character work was there. This was a home run. The the thing that impressed me, man, was the, the fluidity and the speed at which Takeshita was performing these moves. Like, he was like in a dead sprint, like Boom, boom, bouncing off one side of the ropes to the other. The athleticism that this kid has and the 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 work rate that he has and the ability that he's able to have in the ring at age 26, like this this kid can go now, all right? Like they, they have something special here with him. I don't know what their plans long-term are with him, but obviously if they're putting him in this spot with Hangman Adam Page heading into this build, a double or nothing with a Punk and Page uh, in uh, in Las Vegas, they obviously got something big for him coming up. So, yeah, anytime he's going to grace my TV screen, uh, I am I am all for it. Um, uh, hopefully, JR can learn how to pr pronounce his name. Uh <laughs> he didn't even try last night. He's like, no, I'm not even going no. there. And honestly, that's the best thing. I did it on last week's show, all right? I wasn't comfortable saying his name. I let you do it, all right? I ain't going to be the one that fucks that up. Uh, speaking of mess-ups, or maybe not, but we don't really know. We don't really know the circumstances surrounding this, but I woke up uh, this early this morning to go to work. And, you know, all I could see on my Twitter timeline was people talking about Daniel Bryan and his leg getting trapped between the elevated stage and the ring last night. Apparently, uh, during the rampage tapings, he got his foot stuck in between the elevated ramp and the ring and was there for anywhere from five to ten minutes. Uh, and was seen kind of limping off under his own power, thankfully, after he got out of there. But there's some confusion about whether or not this was played up a little bit, whether or not it was a work, a shoot. It's pro wrestling. There's always going to be those kind of instances. But this was kind of a weird, a weird thing to wake up to this morning or for you, probably while you're eating lunch, noticing that this went down on the Rampage tapings. Oh, no. As soon as I was I got up, I saw that news. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was like a freak accident. You have people that are like reporting on it, saying that it was a work and people were laughing and joking about it. And then there was people in the in the crowd that said he was like in there for like 10 minutes. Other people were saying that it was just a couple of minutes. So it was kind of jarring what exactly is going to go on and how AEW is going to edit around that, because this was for a taped episode of rampage for this friday so should be very interesting how they're going to go about that but um yeah just a whole strange situation and i think that this will lead to aew doing that elevated ramp less often 
Yeah, I that that was my next question because if this if this wasn't a work, if this was a shoot, and Daniel Bryan, you know, he was able to walk off under his own power. That was a good thing. He was kind of limping around. You could see the video. But if my leg was trapped for upwards of ten minutes, it'd probably be asleep at that point. So that may have played a large role in how he was moving or how his ankle was positioned. Something could have happened there. Um, so it it's 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 nice to see that he was able to move off under his own power, and it appears that you know he's all right if this wasn't a work or an angle or they weren't playing it up. Yeah. They probably need to do away with that elevated ramp. If that was even a possibility or at least find out how there was a big enough gap between the ramp and the ring for his foot to fall through. Now, as far as the recording goes, at least this was post-match, right? So they may be able to finagle it, you know, a little bit. We've seen some brilliant editing, uh, on, on shows in the past, uh, most notably that the whole Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair table thing from WWE's angle. They were able to make that actually look pretty good. So I think AEW's got some editors though. They'll be able to say, but you know what? It'll make me want to tune into Rampage and see how, how this played out. They may just cut it all together, to be completely honest. We'll we'll see how it goes. But coming off of last night, heading into double or nothing. The, the double or nothing card is getting more and more stacked and they made it official by the way the triple threat match for the AEW tag team championships it's going to be jungle boy luchasaurus it's going to be ricky starks and powerhouse hobbs and yes it's going to be keith lee and isaiah swerve scott or excuse me so whoa that was a freudian slip there it's going to be swerve all right swerve strickland first, uh, first you call brian danielson daniel bryan and now you're calling swerve strickland isaiah swerve scott old old habits die hard all right man old habits die hard it's it's like like all these chain name changes in wwe i still call him pete dunn but that's more of a choice than it is an actual freudian slip i i just refuse to say butch other than any other uh way that i just did but that match is gonna bang i'm looking forward to that oh by the way we're gonna have ricky starks on this channel next week here on believe in pro wrestling getting hyped up for double or nothing so make sure to hammer that subscribe button and get ahead so you don't miss out on my conversation with Ricky Starks uh, next week. We're also going to have the uh, Owen Hart finals, both men's and women's, on Double or Nothing, which is coming up quickly. I can't believe we're 10 days away. We're 10 days away. That is insane. And we now have uh, a better idea of how these uh, brackets are going to shake out. So let's dive into this, shall we? It's time to answer the five counts on the Believe Podcast Network. Let's focus on the men's here real quick, SP3, because we only have three competitors left uh, after last night. Kyle O'Reilly moving on. Samoa Joe moving on. And in the main event last night, this was a great story that was told with Jeff Hardy banged up, barely being cleared for competition. Adam Cole capitalizing on that. Adam Cole makes it to the finals. We had a feeling that was going to be the case. Who his opponent is going to be is going to be very interesting. Because you still have Jay Lethal and company who are all up in Samoa Joe's business. And so far, anyway, it has all been post-match. We we talked about this being a possibility. This is how you get Samoa Joe out of the tournament is Jay Lethal and company get involved in that way. But are they really going to be setting up Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole in the finals? That's kind of interesting to me. How do you see this one shaking out now? 
I see that they have established Samoa Joe with an injury going into this semifinal matchup, and it's an injury that plays into Kyle O'Reilly's style. I love the finish with him and uh, Ray Phoenix, where Ray Phoenix went for the rolling into the the, the uh, cutter, and he just catches him in the midair, gets him into the arm bar because of Ray Phoenix's previous injury that took him out for months back in January with his arm injury. Kyle O'Reilly focused on him. It had strong psychology. It was an awesome some clash of styles and Kyle O'Reilly got the victory here and it plays in nicely with Samoa Joe getting the lead pipe shot to his injured arm it sets him up to get another arm bar submission win but that won't happen Samoa Joe is going to overcome the odds Samoa Joe is going to hit that muscle buster and he's going to the finals against Adam Cole and I think at the pay-per-view that's when Sanjay Dutt and Jay Lethal will interfere and cost Samoa Joe. They they tried to cost him by injuring his arm, but that's not going to work. So they got to go the full Monty and get involved in the finals of the Owen Hart Foundation Men's Tournament. And Adam Cole, baby, Shawn Michaels super fan is going to win a Hart Family Tournament. I, I have to agree with you because as much as I would think AEW would love to put on an Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly match, which if you think back to the NXT days, those were exhausting to watch, uh, right? Like those were marathon matches. All right. Just like no selling and false finishes out the ass to end those damn babies. Uh, I can't imagine that those guys would uh, would not want to do that again. But right now, it just doesn't make sense from a storyline standpoint because the tension is not between Adam Cole, right, and 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 the undisputed elite. That's not where the storyline lies. So I think Samoa Joe has to win in the semifinals, and it would be a very Adam Cole way to win. How his character has been set up, he can claim that he wins the Owen Hart, but yeah, he's gonna get help. Like there, there's no way that he's not going to get help. Something is going to be able to protect Samoa Joe in this. I think Joe versus Cole is a match that uh, will, 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 I mean, the place is already, you know, the tickets are, the tickets have been sold, but I think that's a match that'll help get buys on the pay-per-view Adam Cole, Samoa Joe more than Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly would. Uh, so I think that's the way they're going to go. But yeah, I still, I picked Adam Cole. I believe I picked Adam. I picked Cole or Samoa Joe, but I was leaning towards Adam Cole from the get-go, and I'm going to stick with that. Uh, Dr. Britt Baker is moving on. Uh, we, we, unless you have read the, uh, the Rampage spoilers, we don't know who the full semifinals is at this time, but how are you feeling about the women's tournament at this moment? I'm still going to hold out hope that Tony Storm is going to beat Britt Baker, but it feels like... AEW is not the type to leave off their biggest female star off of this pay-per-view. So I wouldn't be surprised if Britt Baker beats Tony Storm on next week's Dynamite. And it's going to be Ruby Soho versus Britt Baker in the finals. And Ruby Soho is going to get the big win, finally defeat Britt Baker, and win this tournament. I think that they should probably do the men's tournament first. So it can be like, you know, you have the whole story going into the finals that, oh, the, the family of Cole Baker is going to win the, both the men's and women's Owen Hart tournament. And then you have Ruby Soho pull off the upset and get the victory. And this would be kind of a make good for all the people that, just what a month and a half ago we're like where's ruby soho ruby soho's getting buried and all this stuff let it allow her to win the owen hart cup and give her the big victory here i would like to believe 
that they would do that, that they would do the make good for Ruby Soho, because I think it makes a lot of sense. I think Ruby will be in the finals. I whether it's Chris Statlander uh, or Red Velvet that moves on, I don't see either one of them making it to the finals. I could be wrong, but I do believe it is going to be Ruby Soho who gets there. And Tony Storm and Britt Baker, that is man. That's a hard one, right? Because a lot of the build of this tournament has been built around those three superstars, adding in Jamie Hayter as well, but she's already been eliminated by Tony Storm. So the build to this has been around Tony and Ruby and Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. So you got three out of four of those that are left. So do you go with the enemy versus the, you know, the two foes in the finals, or do you go with the two friends after they have eliminated Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker? I want to say yes, because I feel like the match that would be the, the the best that would mean the most to these the, the the two women who need to be in the finals the most need to be Tony Storm and Ruby Soho. But I don't know if they would do friend versus friend. So I have a feeling, yeah, it's probably going to end up being Britt Baker and Ruby Soho. But I'm going to go with Dr. Britt Baker. I think Britt Baker is going to win this and she is either going to probably go after I would probably say go after the TNT championship after this right that would make TBS. the most sense of TBS, TBS, TBS yeah. yeah I yeah. mean I, I think that they kind of set it up too where Tony Storm beat Britt Baker in that tag team match so that's another reason why I think that Britt's gonna win because they're already gonna be like well it's kind of like 1-1 where Tony pinned Britt in that tag team match Britt wins in the tournament and then now there's now like an, a feud or a series that they can go back to when they're done with the tournament and Britt doesn't Britt definitely doesn't need to win this tournament at all because she's their biggest female star and this would mean a lot more to Ruby Soho's career and make it feel with a victory in the Owen Hart uh, you know, foundation tournament it makes it feel like she made the right decision in coming to AEW yeah she needs it the most uh, ab absolutely positively 100% she needs it the most I don't know if she's going to get it here's the thing I I'm, I'm huge fans of all three of these ladies. So I wouldn't be mad at any of them if they won, but like, if we're going, if we're ranking them on who needs it, yeah, it's Ruby and it's Tony. And then it's, you know, 800 feet of something else. And then it's Dr. Britt Baker. Like she's the last one in this. I would put Statlander and red velvet over who needs it more than Britt, ba Britt Baker doesn't need it. But I think AEW wants Britt Baker on the, on the pay-per-view. So she's going to win. She's going to go to the finals. I don't I don't have any faith that they're going to put Ruby Soho over Britt Baker. It's at this point, it's like me picking against Charlotte Flair and WWE. I just can't do it. Like, I, I, I just can't do it. It's gotten to that point uh, so far. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, one of the uh, best promo exchanges last night, depending on uh, how much you can stomach, I guess, was <laughs> between the Jericho Appreciation Society and the Blackpool Combat Club, which was more obscene. Jericho's promo on the BCC, that's the BCC, not the BBC, as uh, Renee Paquette recently found out on Twitter, or Regal's cheeky response last night. It's definitely Regal's cheeky response because this felt way too sports entertainment ish for regal to say like he could have brought up a lot of different things like you know when when they were in wcw together and they both felt that glass ceiling you know he could say that you know you, you you're looking down on me but we were kind of at that same stage in wcw and then we made the choice to go to wwe you got to the top you beat all the top stars you're the undisputed champion but i was a real man's man and i never got the same opportunities 
things that you did, and he could have brought up a lot of different things outside of putting a toothbrush up his booty hole. And I think that the Chris Jericho <laughs> promo kind of fit in what Jericho does. And I know there's people that, yeah, I'm rolling my eyes in the back of my head. Compare this, Jericho saying that one line about Moxley to WWE's treatment of Jeff Hardy's addictions. I'm sorry, they didn't do a DUI storyline. They didn't do a piss test in the middle of the ring. Jericho said one passing line that you have to believe this is not WWE. So they definitely cleared that with Moxley before Jericho said it. So like, yeah, like, please, please don't give me the comparisons. This is why, this is why people say wrestling fans are the worst because people actually try to compare the two. Like it's not comparable. And if you, if you put out a tweet comparing the two, you deserve all the ridicule that us wrestling fans get. Enjoy that ratio. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there was, I mean, Jericho went there last night. Like he went there on everybody in the ring, but we've seen Jericho do that in the past before he's done this with punk before in the past. If you want to do comparisons in WWE. So to me, it's like, I'm sitting here and I'm going, those, those were some deep personal real shots. And there is no doubt in my mind that Jericho, who's had most of these dudes on his freaking podcast, cleared those lines with them ahead of time. There's no doubt in my mind. I could be wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll steal the Stephen A. line. I could be wrong. But I feel like that was definitely there. To me, I'm just sitting there going, oh, we're, 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 we're literally doing the, oh, God, what was that one movie? Crap. The, not the, not the weird, the Millers, the, uh, uh, horrible bosses. We're really doing the horrible bosses where we're shoving, you know, toothbrushes up our freaking anal cavities. Like that's where we're going with this. I did love the commitment from Eddie Kingston though, who had a toothbrush in the background <laughs> as he was holding it up. Um, I will say this much. I, I thought the line out of all of this though, it didn't come from either one of these. It was definitely John Moxley. Uh, who is Jericho was trying to pitch stadium stampede and Moxley just comes in. It's like, no, 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 no. I ain't doing that shit. <laughs> we ain't doing that. This is a completely different era of wrestling. I wanted Regal. And I'm sure just like everybody else to kind of cut him off and scream blood and guts. Like, I think that's what we all wanted or him to maybe start to scream war games. And then somebody cut him off too, as well. I thought that would have been a nice little touch. Uh, but yeah, the fact that these two, groups are going to be meeting and there's going to be an all-out gang wars type level fight at double or nothing again makes me even more excited for that pay-per-view yeah this is definitely one of the draws of the pay-per-view and i like the fact that it during the entrances it kind of felt like kingston and santana and ortiz got usurped in their own feud because they came out to like moxley's music and they weren't the guys on the mic but i like the fact that jericho put it back on this group where the real story is is this blackpool combat club lax connection gonna work together because santana and moxley have their history with the eye for an eye match and more importantly danielson and kingston have that history and that rewards the viewers for remembering that Danielson and, and Kingston had their little War of the World words before their world title eliminator uh, matchup last October. And it was really Danielson that kind of kickstarted and put Kingston on the road to what 
is one of his best feuds yet with CM Punk at full year because he said a lot of the things that Punk would go on to say Danielson did. So I like that little rewarding and just reminding us that, yeah, these guys don't like each other. So we don't know if they're going to be able to work with each other. I, I, I can't believe that I have to agree with you on a storyline that boils down to can they coexist? Right? Like, this has become such a terrible crutch over at the E that it's become a running gag. But this shows you if you do things correctly, if you go back to history, if you're not just putting random opponents on teams and asking the question out loud, can they coexist, that it can actually work. And by the way, I think that it will work because I don't think there's any chance in hell that Blackpool Combat Club is eating a eating a loss in any way, shape, or form, even if it is Eddie Kingston or LAX taking the L. I don't think they're putting an L on that team anytime soon. And eventually, who knows, maybe that, you know, there is the talk of introducing the trios title soon. Maybe that's what they're setting them up for instead of maybe the AEW tag team titles because with the, I got a feeling, and we'll talk about this on our uh on our prediction show uh, next week with Doc Mueller from uh, Bleacher Report, I got a feeling we're getting a tag team title switch at double or nothing. I, I think that definitely seems to be the route that they're going to go, whether it's Starks and Hobbs or uh, uh, Keith Lee and Swerve. I'm not sure yet, but it definitely seems like the AEW title tag team titles have got their own thing going on. Ring of Honor tag team titles have their own thing going on. I think sooner rather than later, the trios titles are coming out and they're going on on the BCC. I can totally see that, or hopefully it goes on Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. Maybe this whole partnership is leading to maybe those two teams facing out in the in the finals, and then you could really pay off on all the tension between Danielson and Kingston. You could put the best friends of Moxley and Kingston against each other. It's a lot of interesting ways they can go about that. One of the things I absolutely loved about last night's show was Wardlow's performance in the 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 lashing, right? He get he ended up getting closer to 15 to 20 lashings instead of the 10. But that's because this man, this mountain, this beast, this total badass of a man stood there like he was getting flicked with a paper clip. Like he like they were just tossing paper balls at his back instead of MJF just winding up and hitting him with a fucking leather belt last night it was what the before the ninth one before he accidentally even flinched just a little bit it was great to me the fact that he's just sitting there kind of doing his little his little shoulder strut and that cocky ass smirk just to eat away at mjf i know that had to hurt like a son of a bitch so I'll ask you, SP3, could you no-sell anything the way that Wardlow no-sold those belt lashes last night? No, he ate those. He ate those. He flexed. He laughed. He smiled. Uh, Wardlow just came off like an absolute beast. I love the entrance where the crowd was chanting Wardlow like he was Goldberg. They kind of gave you that Goldberg feel as well. So, yeah, this was a great performance by Wardlow. And I did the review over on the True Hill Heat YouTube channel earlier today, and I gave him the MVP of the show because he this was... I don't know if this was as good as the original 10 lashes to Cody, but this perfectly fit Wardlow's character. Everyone played their roles very well. And this was a highlight of the show for sure. Yeah, this was 
they, they were just so different different performances i saw a video out on twitter of, of like literally a side-by-side of cody getting the lashing right and he's falling down to the ground like you know he had just been you know whipped with broken glass and he's you know wincing and he's arching his shoulders back he's rolling out to the ring he's hugging on arn anderson like i can't do it man yes you can you only got two more to go and wardlow has taken nine of these things before he's even like the hell was that? Uh, it was just two completely different performances, but it totally worked. And it really, honestly, it was MJF who really helped sell it because you could see the frustration mounting on his face. And I'll say this much for MJF. Somebody needs to talk to him uh, about the spray tan, right? Like, especially if you're going to take off your jacket because, bro, your hands were orange. The rest of you was white. Like, all right, like, let's. Let's look at that a little bit. Let's let's blend. Let's learn about blending. Uh, okay, that's something they teach you in in broadcasting, right? You know, to do the makeup, go down to the neckline, everything like that. You, Paul Heyman has issues with this too. All right, it's not it's not just you. Okay, but <laughs> that was funny. Part all of it was funny. His reaction, him struggling to get the the dress shirt off. It, all of this just worked. Oh, and then Sean Spears was there uh, as well, continuing the great work that he's he's doing. He's got a match coming up on Rampage this Saturday, another giant uh, that he's going to to kill ahead of uh, his match with Wardlow next week. Um, yeah, this whole segment just just worked for me last night. It was chef's kiss uh, for me on this one. I almost would put I think I did enjoy this one more than the, than the Cody one, but I can't I can't say which one was better. You can't compare the two. They're just two completely different performances and two different ways uh, to kind of take this, which is they could have really they could have gone the lazy way out and rinsed and repeated and done the exact same thing. But they took it another way and they said they looked at who Wardlow is and what his character is and says, no, he wouldn't do that. Cody's the dramatic one. Of course, Cody is going to fall to his knees, right? Like he just heard God speak to him. All right. Like, of course, Cody was going to do that. No, Wardlow's going to shrug it off like a. You know, like a semi truck just got flicked with a fly on the windshield. All right. And that's exactly what he did last night. And it was great. I loved every second of it. Uh, if you guys are hanging out with us here, appreciate it. Make sure to uh, get your uh, your comments in. Noob, uh, Wardlow is a total badass. He is a modern Goldberg. I disagree with that because I think he's better than Goldberg uh, by a long stretch. Actually, like inside the ring selling when he needs to sell because he sold the low blow. All right. Like. Lashes ain't nothing. Getting kicked in the in the pills, yeah, that's gonna take any man down. So yeah, that that was that's the right kryptonite. <laughs> what was that? I said that's his kryptonite. Kicking the low yeah. blows. That's any man's kryptonite. So yeah, unless you're one of those, you know, like weird monk dudes who take those bricks to their balls. You ever seen those dudes? <laughs> those dudes on TikTok. You've never seen those guys. All right, man, there's got to be somebody who's watching who knows. <laughs> About. oh man sp3 just froze like oh with the perfect <laughs> the perfect grimace face i hope i hope you're still with me are you still with me over there checking one checking two hello hello uh-oh may have lost sp3 but i i need to screen grab this because this is like the absolute like perfect uh perfect face we do appreciate you guys who are tuning in with us hopefully uh, sp3 will come back here real soon uh let us move on to uh number four here on the uh the five count so tony storm was on the uh unrestricted podcast for aew this week right and they actually brought up the pie the pie incident in wwe which was what they decided to build their entire storyline around for their smackdown women's title feud they had Tony Storm 
All right. Hopefully, uh, SP3 will join us here. Let me get these graphics off my face. They had Tony Storm and Charlotte Flair, two of the best women's wrestlers in the world. They decided, they decided that they were going to build this around a pie. Well, it turns out that Tony Storm didn't mind the pie angle so much. Okay. Interesting take on that. Why didn't she mind the pie angle so much? As SP3 hopefully uh, rejoins us here. There he is. Why didn't Tony Storm mind the pie angle so much, SP3? Well, it turns out it was better than the other option they had on the table, which was, oh, hey, what do you think about getting your clothes ripped off? And that's why you're really embarrassed on television. What yeah. the hell are we doing? And, of course, Tony, being the, uh, the, the champ that she is, is going, well, people are getting released. I ain't been on TV a whole lot. Yeah, I guess I'm cool with it. And then somebody else kind of spoke up afterwards and was like, hey, this is a bad idea. Let's not do this. And then they went with the pie angle. Again, I asked, number four on the five count, what the hell are we doing, WWE? That was the better option, ladies and gentlemen, the pie angle. The pie angle that everyone and their mama criticize was the better of the two options because you don't objectify a woman that had to deal with kind of social media you know linking photos of her previously already and they yes. still thought that was a good idea this is this is just shows you where the company is thinking what they're thinking about um this company has kind of done this more on nxt where they're going back to more of like diva angle but you can see that these ideas were already presented on the main roster as well so it's not something that's kind of isolated in orlando for nxt 2.0 it's something that probably company-wide and this is what happens when vince doesn't have new people to you know be the people giving him ideas this is what happens when he gets the same people returning to give him the same ideas that worked 20 years ago that's why this is the, this is probably an idea from you know, the john larinitis of the world or the bruce pritchers of the world because this is what worked 20 years ago and they think they think they go by the same theory what's old is new again but some of these things do not age well yeah, no, this immediately made me think of what they did to Trish and Lita and Stacy Keebler back in the day, right? Like now the, 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 the perverted teen of myself was not, you know, uh, complaining at the time, but yeah, now that I'm a, an adult and things have changed and, you know, I have progressed as a human and society has progressed in some ways. Uh, some of us have progressed in the world, right? This ain't the way to go, man. And this is this is part of the concerns that I brought up after the Athena interview with Chris Van Vliet, where she's talking like they had a whole, you know, two or three hour meeting about wanting everybody to dress very similar to how toxic attraction dresses. And I'm like, you look at how that's going down. Now you look at, at Tony Storm and the angles that they wanted to do with themselves. And then you tie that into what we've seen now with Sasha Banks and Naomi where WWE seems to have a bigger issue with people complaining and the criticism that they're getting than actually attempting to make things any better. They have a bigger issue with, with what you say and how you present it and actually standing up for yourself than 
trying to change their, these dumbass ideas and going back to these archaic ways that they used to do with the women's talent when you've had more, when you have more and better women's talent than you've ever known what to do with. This is what you pitched to Tony freaking Storm? No wonder she quits. No wonder she got burnt out and wanted to retire at age, what, 24? Jesus, what are we doing? Speaking of Sasha and Naomi, uh, more and more reports keep coming out on this every day. We we have heard pretty much every side of the story here from reports, except for those who are directly involved. We have yet to hear from Sasha. We've yet to hear from Naomi. WWE themselves have not really kind of released any statement or made any other indications about where things are with these two, if they've made any progression whatsoever so far since that statement and the comments that were made on Monday Night Raw. But we have gotten reports from the people that I trust anyway, uh, several of them talking about reactions from people backstage. SP3, you've kind of had some time to read the reports, reflect, think back about you know what, what transpired on Monday. I blathered on about this for two episodes now. I'm interested, after you've had time to kind of reflect on the reports, where do you come down in the whole Sasha Banks and Naomi situation now that things have uh, kind of passed a little bit? I was asked this question on Pillar to Post over on Fightful Overbook yesterday, and I will say the same thing here as far as like what side I stand on, whether it's Sasha Banks and Naomi or whether it's WWE. I'm push. I'm a push because we don't know every side of the story yet. We've heard numerous reports. We've had time to reflect, but we don't know the full story quite yet. But as far as what we've heard, I understand both sides, honestly. I understand WWE, you know, thinking that it's unprofessional to walk out, you know, while the show is going on. And, you know, the way they handled the situation wasn't the best, in my opinion, because honestly, the best way to, you know, have some leverage in your pocket if you're Sasha Banks and Naomi would have been to do the match and have Naomi win and then walk out. Because then they have to they have to scramble and figure out a new way to create a contender. That's how you get the leverage, honestly. It's not leaving before the match happens. It's doing the match, doing what they want, and then don't show up on Friday. Don't show up next Monday. That's what the that's how you really get leverage in this whole situation. But I'm also always gonna be on the side of the performers because Sasha Banks, I feel like this was a whole culmination of three years. Everything that started when she first had the women's tag team titles with Bailey, they wanted to create more opportunities for the women. And they saw what WWE was doing with the women's tag team titles, that they were just playing hot potato with it, that they weren't going to treat it as well as they treat the men's tag team titles. And that says a lot because they don't treat the men's tag team titles that well to begin with. So I understand how she's feeling. We still don't know the whole story behind why WWE promoted her at SummerSlam for a whole week when they knew she wasn't going to show up and not a second before the, the match starts, they then announced that she's not there. We don't know the whole story. This feels like a culmination of months and months and years for Sasha Banks. I feel like Naomi proved herself to be a true ride or die because honestly, she, she didn't really have to walk with Sasha Banks, but it shows solidarity that she's stood with Sasha Banks and then I also believe WWE handled the whole situation completely wrong with the statement with Corey Graves comment it was just a complete yeah a complete 
mess of a situation, how they handled it. So I don't think anyone comes out of this looking good in, in, in the long run. So that's why I'm at push. Yeah, look, it, it's interesting that you bring up the SummerSlam because I saw somebody else do that, brought up SummerSlam. And I wish I could remember who so I could bring I could give them credit. But I saw him tweet about it on Twitter. And it raises a good point because in WWE's statement, it made it sound like their biggest issue was the fact that they had advertised the main event and then weren't able to deliver on said main event because of what the talent did. Okay. You advertise the main, you didn't, this wasn't an, a main event that was advertised throughout the weekend or throughout the week, or even in the day leading up. Like the only thing that you really promoted until the start of the show was the cage match with Omos and Bobby Lashley. It was at the start of the show, the start of the show that you announced the six pack challenge. And then shortly after Sasha and Naomi left. So this was out in the universe for maybe 40 minutes before you had that quick segment with Becky Lynch and Adam pay uh, Adam Pierce backstage. That everybody was like, oh, wait, okay, so we're not getting the six-pack challenge. Okay, that's weird. And I think a lot of us just kind of moved on after that. I think a lot of us were like, oh, well, we're, we're getting Becky and Asuka. Okay, that's cool. Let's see how this plays out. And it was a good main event, all things considered. Because, of course, it was. It was Becky Lynch and Asuka. But I, I find it strange that they take issue with that. But when it's them doing it, advertising a SmackDown Women's Championship right up until the bell as Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair, and then they just get the ring announcer to say, sorry, everybody, sorry, Sasha's not here, so here's her opponent, Carmella. And then everybody in Allegiant Stadium, because trust me, I was there, was like, what the fuck? is this and that's not a knock on Carmella it's just that we had seen that and we were all anxiously awaiting Sasha Banks and Bianca and we thought that we had been sold a bill of goods right and it was total letdown and then you made up for it by able by, by being able to grab a sledgehammer and hit in case of emergency break glass and boom here's Becky Lynch and then all of a sudden we forgot about Sasha Banks we didn't care that you didn't advertise that because now our focus was on why the fuck did you book that match the way that you did, right? Like it may, it, it's just like society. We're all pissed off about one thing until something else comes off and pisses us off even more. And then we forget about that. Why was it an issue when you couldn't deliver a match that you would advertise for 40 minutes, but you willingly let an entire week go by for a freaking SummerSlam, not a Monday Night Raw in May, SummerSlam. And then made the last minute switch with no no if ands or buts about it. Like I'd let it slide with Roman Reigns at at WrestleMania 36 because that was COVID. It was crazy times. Whatever. Okay, you don't want to. You're just gonna insert Braun Strowman in the match. Fine, cool, whatever. Shit went down. I understand that. Why are you? Is it because it wasn't your idea? Is that the only reason? Because that, my friends, is a hypocrisy. All right, that's that's hypocritical. You can bitch and moan about having to change a match. Because Sasha and Naomi walked out, yet you did the same thing as SummerSlam. You could, you didn't deliver a match that you promised on purpose, and then you go scorched earth on Sasha and Naomi afterwards on Raw, calling them unprofessional and feeding lines to Corey Graves. A lot of that, I'm sure, was Vince pissed off, blowing his lid. Cooler heads did not prevail in that situation. I'm sure, maybe he regrets some things. Maybe I don't know. It is Vince McMahon. Who knows? But if it were me, I would have regretted how I reacted. All right. I have gotten hot before. We've all done it. 
said some things, maybe done some things we didn't we didn't like that we did in the days that preceded that, right? But yeah, this it's 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 very strange to me that oh, it's okay when we do it, but if y'all do it, not saying it was right, wrong, or indifferent, but when y'all do it and you make us look bad instead of us making us look bad on our own, now we take issue with it, and now we got to go scorched earth on you on national television. They lack the same energy. There's no same energy when it comes to them. <laughs> but yes, I will agree with you. Um, I've I talked about this ad nauseum with, with Jeremy. I think it boils down for me. Yes, you should fight for what you believe in. And yes, there is no lies told. And any of the reports have come out from Sean Rossap about uh, them, you know, not liking how the women's tag team titles have been booked because they have been booked like shit. They have been booked like shit pretty much since the Iconics won them at WrestleMania 35. They have been booked terribly for the most part. And the fact that if you just look at the last five women's tag team champions, they ain't teams anymore. The last five. Women's tag team champions broke up after they dropped the belts. Two of the last three champions, not including the current ones, if they are still the current ones, didn't have opponents for months at a time because they were the only team in the entire division. Sasha and Naomi saw the writing on the wall with their reign going down very similar paths. The fact that they were going to be fed reportedly again to the Raw and SmackDown Women's Champion with no payoff for their titles. And then, oh, a couple months down the line, yeah, that's when we'll we'll start focusing on your championships again. I I understand voicing their frustration, and I, I applaud them for knowing that they have the clout and the positioning to stand up to bad creative, and they, they, they decided that that was the hill they wanted to die on. I respect them for that. At the same time, walking out after the show started, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't, the best way to go about things. And I, I think maybe they regret doing that as well, or maybe they don't because Sasha Banks and Vince McMahon are very similar and they are stubborn as hell, the both of them, which makes me wonder if, and when this is going to get resolved, do you think we get a mention? Do you think we see either one of these ladies tomorrow on SmackDown? Uh, no, I've said it a couple of different times the right thing for Sasha Banks to do is to just go. Just go. That's the only way you're going to create the change you've wanted for three years. As far as Naomi, maybe. I'll put her at a maybe, a push for her, but Sasha Banks is better off you just go at this point. Keep checking WWE.com very periodically to see if they make any kind of update to the, the champion section, like if we got vacated or if they've deleted the women's tag team titles, cause I know Sean Ross said it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't surprise him if they just got rid of the women's tag team titles altogether, since they don't really care about them anyway, but that was a little bit more speculation on his part than an actual report. At least I, that's what I read into it, but they are still listed there as the uh, SmackDown or excuse me. I keep saying that the WWE uh, women's tag team champion. So they at least, Digitally haven't made any decisions yet. Maybe they're waiting to see if they show up this week, talk things out. Who knows? It's going to be interesting. One of the other interesting things that dropped here from, I believe it was Dave Meltzer who said this today, Wrestling Observer, Naomi's contract is coming up soon. She's actually in the middle of contract negotiations as this went down. I don't know if that's going to help those contract negotiations at all. I would, I would 
probably be willing to say that might hurt uh, those contract negotiations there a little bit. Um, but I would think WWE would want to keep Naomi as well. Uh, they want to keep both of these girls, both of them, because if they didn't, they would be gone by now. They would have been gone already the way that they have been releasing talent pretty much without questions asked, unless you, you know, your name's Roderick Strong. But, you know, if they, if you, they would have let them go if they, if they didn't care about wanting, still having them in the company. So obviously they want to keep them there. It's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. But one thing is for sure. I want to hear Sasha and Naomi's side of it. I just don't know if we're ever going to really hear Sasha and Naomi's side of it, because frankly, we still haven't heard Sasha's side of what happened at SummerSlam. That could have been personal. Who knows? Maybe we got to get her back on the broken skull sessions because it wasn't until broken skull that we found out that she actually asked for her release after WrestleMania 35. Hey, it's given us plenty of content to talk about this week. So again, I, I appreciate them uh, for that. We appreciate everybody who's tuned in to this special live edition of the Believe in Pro Wrestling podcast. Usually we are on uh, Mondays live, 2.15 uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time, if you're just now joining us. And then we have a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday show that come out at 7 a.m. in the morning, available anywhere podcasts are and available right here on the Believe in Pro Wrestling YouTube channel. By the way, check out my pinned tweet. If you want a chance to win two tickets to Money in the Bank, all you have to do is subscribe to the channel, retweet my pinned tweet, and you're registered. That's it. Boom. Bam. Done. You get to Vegas, we'll get you in the show. It's that simple. You can watch Cody Rhodes climb to the top of the ladder and probably get shoved off when he should win the damn thing because that's what WWE does. And they'll put that you know thing on the Miz or, or somebody like that because that's what they do. But anyway, uh, you can go and watch that actually happen in Allegiant Stadium. If you've never been, by the way, hell of a venue. Atmosphere is electric. I love it. It's a, it's a great home venue for the Raiders, uh, that's for sure. But uh, hey, the Bengals still won there uh, last year anyway. Uh, so we appreciate all you guys tuning in. Thank you so much. Sid and I will be back Monday, live edition, 2.15 p.m. on Monday. Please join us. Check out the pinned tweet. Pump the thumbs up button. Pump the subscribe button. We'll talk to you all on Monday. Enjoy SmackDown. Enjoy Rampage. This is Believe in Pro Wrestling Podcast live edition brought to you by Ben Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.